0: listening to Latin Experts, a podcast of Latino studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Latin Experts features the voices of faculty, staff, and students, as well as friends and alumni of the Department of Mexican-American and Latina Latino Studies, the Latino Research Institute, and the Center for Mexican-American Studies. So what do we mean by experts? Experts. An expert is a person who has a comprehensive and authoritative knowledge of, or skill in, a particular area. Latinos aren't often associated with expertise. A Latin expert, then, occupies the space cautiously. A Latin expert admits they have knowledge and an important perspective, but leads with questions instead of answers, acknowledges what they don't know, and is always accountable to Latinx communities. Join us for this episode of Latin experts. Police and vigilante violence against Black people in the United States never stops. But sometimes, certain instances of anti-Black harm catalyze the people to rise up in rebellion, to demand that things change. Such is the case of the spring and summer of 2020. As we lived with the ever-present threat of the COVID-19 pandemic, four police or vigilante murders grabbed national attention. Ahmad Arbery in Atlanta, Georgia, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, Tony McDade in Tallahassee, Florida, and George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Despite the health risk, people took their rage to the streets, and at the time I speak, they continue to take those streets, demanding an end to police violence and asserting that Black Lives Matter. The Pew Research Center reports that as many as one in four U.S. Latinos identify as Afro-Latinx. The movement for Black Lives, then, is deeply integral to Latinx communities. Yet, for many throughout the United States, regardless of their ethnic or racial identity, Latino is synonymous with mestizaje, or brownness. For many white and mestizo Latinx folks, Blackness and Black issues seem separate from Latinx issues, an implicitly and often explicitly anti-Black racist point of view. The Department of Mexican-American and Latina Latino Studies at UT is comprised largely of non-Afro-Latinx faculty. A group of these faculty decided it is our responsibility to provide resources to our communities to be able to address anti-Blackness in Latinx communities. This multi-part series of Latin experts is our imperfect attempt to do just that. To be clear, although some of the voices featured in this series are Afro-Latinx and experts in questions related to Afro-Latinx communities and anti-blackness, many of us are not. We are simply Latinx people and Latino studies scholars with the political obligation to ask hard questions, share what we know and have experienced, and hold ourselves and our communities accountable to black people. Join us as we launch our new podcast with a special multi-part series on anti-blackness and Afro-Latinidad and Latinx communities. Episode one, why does grandma love Celia Cruz, but hate black people? In this episode, we will hear from Lara G. Gutierrez and Jesus I. Valles. Gutierrez is associate professor in the Department of Mexican American and Latino-Latino Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Her research and teaching interests are in Mexican and Latinx performance studies and visual culture studies, popular culture, feminist theory, queer theory, and critical race theory. She is the author of Performing Mexicanidad, Vendidas y Cabareteras on the transnational stage and she's completing a monograph on queer intimacies in contemporary Latinx visual art, performance art, and video film work. Jesus Ivayas is a queer Mexican immigrant and writer-performer from Juarez, Mexico, and El Paso, Texas. Jesus is a 2019 Lambda Literary Fellow, a 2019 Fellow of the Sewanee Writers' Conference, a 2018 Undocu-Poets Fellow, and a 2018 Tin House Scholar. They have received support from Fine Arts Work Center, Community of Writers at Squaw Valley, Idlewild Arts, and the Poetry Incubator. Their work is published in The New Republic, Palabritas, The Ascentos Review, Quarterly Rest, and Tin House. They are the author and performer of the solo show, Undocuments. Let's listen to Laura and Jesus. Hi, everyone.
1: Uh, So happy to be here um, with Jesus Valles to have this conversation about um, anti-blackness in Latinx communities. Um, And one of the things that um, we want to talk about, um, more so than offer answers, because we don't presume to have answers for this, but just open up important conversations, is the ways it's through pop culture, right? Um, Even the question that... um, opens up our, our series um, with this episode, Why Does Grandma Love Celia Cruz But Hate Black People? It's already problematic, right? Because it presumes that the grandma, the abuelita here, is, you know, um, a non-black um, um, grandma, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of just start off with that, acknowledging the, the, the assumption there. Um, but it's a question that I pose to my undergrad students here at UT whenever we talk about um, um, performers, musicians, singers, um, black body uh, performers, musicians, singers like Celia Cruz um, within Latinidad. So I wanted you know, to sort of uh, have uh, Jesus here with me to just engage these pop culture conversations and anti-blackness in Latinidad
2: yeah yeah um i i find the question really, really interesting um one because I also think um and, and it's interesting that this this question of the abuela right as the sort of um the like final gatekeeper, your last barrier, the sort of final frontier in in negotiating cultural conversations i think in in so many latinx contests contexts um Always returns to the abuela, right? Like, just just in thinking about um, diasporas and, and, and different Latinx diasporas, right? I'm also thinking about what the conversation is um, and what connections there are between this question of um, why does abuelita uh, love Celia Cruz but hate black people? And, and where is that question? Also in conversation with the question, um, ¿Y tu abuela dónde está? um which is you know which which is one that you hear a in lot
1: closet. Mm-hmm. right the black grandmother in the closet right
2: mm-hmm. which is something that I think you hear a lot um def- you you definitely hear it a lot more um in in Caribbean uh, Latinx communities, um, but I think it's interesting that that so often that question is one um one that ends and begins at the matriarch and two um what does it mean for, for this sort of interesting split between um, what we see as as the cultural product and the 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 person embodying it uh, in popular culture in general, because I because I do think um, so. Just to be sort of specific and upfront, um, I grew up in Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua, Mexico, and my introduction, I think, to blackness and to thinking about blackness was first grounded in in mexicanidad right and and what what blackness meant in the sort of visual um spectrum of, of Mexican pop culture specifically in telenovelas So I'm thinking about um the first the first thing that I can think about is uh, Carrusel de las Américas and the way in which the the, the black characters in the in that show are, one, relegated to this kind of really strange um, nobility, and and the nobility is all based off of their failure to please or comply with whiteness, right? You have Ludwika Paleta sort of playing this kind of, like, object of desire, even in a children's novella, which I think is super bizarre, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> um, and, and that for me, I think, and for I think so many Mexican children... Um, at least in in the 90s was sort of our it was our introduction you know um mm-hmm. flash forwards to today where I think where I think so many of of the folks who are closer closer to the age that I was when I was first sort of introduced to blackness in in a Latinx context um I think are now having the conversation much more explicitly much more openly uh, in much more complex ways and I think so much of that is due to um, you know uh reggaeton and to its its audio landscape and to what absences are present there um so uh, i it, it's it's interesting i think think there's there's obviously so much to be said about this mm-hmm. um and and i i actually would love to ask you um wh- where where does the framing for for the conversation to be why does Abuelita... Love Celia Cruz, but hate Black people. Like, where where do you think that question is is developed or or born or or where 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 is that that's where is that how is it that that question emerges? I guess.
1: Um, wow. Yeah. Thank you for for that. Um, it actually has a lot to do with what you were uh, saying earlier in relationship to sort of the ways in which I've both uh, personally and professionally have encountered Blackness within Latinidad. Um, and it has to do with the consumption of pop culture. And when you mentioned um, the telenovela um, that sort of is your first access to blackness um, and Mexicanidad, I thought that you were actually going to sort of go back f- further, um, which is, you know, um, probably sort of I'm thinking about myself and my own kind of entry into blackness within the telenovela uh, genre and Mexicanidad mm-hmm. with you know el derecho de nacer. Yes, um, and the, that reiteration, right? The right to be born. That has to, that has to do with you know having that you know sort of black past, the black grandmother in in the closet, right? She she's in the closet. She's invisible, and she doesn't deserve to be. Uh, out of the closet as a grandma as sort of a biological uh, connection with this you know this um, this woman who like is um, hating on her mulata child uh, as a white woman she bears a mulata child. Um, anyway, I won't tell you the the, the story because it's sort of so present and so relevant and so prevalent within um, within that visual landscape of mexicanidad. Um, but, you know, it actually has to do with the ways in which I think the, um, the entertainment sort of aspect of blackness is often relegated to sort of uh, the backdrop or sort of the black dancing doll, which is also another prevalent figure within Mexicanidad, right? Mm-hmm. So that kind of like absence, but in the background, and if you're foregrounded, it is for the entertainment of the, you know, of the of the public, right? Of the Mexican mestizo nation of, you know, of, of, of Mexico. Um, but in relationship to the ways in which this question comes up is with my students here at UT and in other locations in the Southwest where, you know, it's sort of mostly Mexican and the students are, are mostly mestizos, first-generation students who are, you know, mostly mestizos of Mexican background who tell me that you know they know of Celia Cruz because their grandmother loves Celia mm. Cruz so we use Celia Cruz sort of as a as a way to sort of prop that question open right in terms of sort of thinking about why Celia Cruz is accepted as a latina performer but not as a black person right so that's where that question comes from from yeah. sort of having that conversation with my students um, and again, as you said, we can sort of continue to sort of dig deeper into and in, in more complex ways, right? Yeah. Um, but
2: uh, yeah. I mean, I and I'm I'm really fascinated by that idea of of reaching back, right? That there is this kind of continuum between, um, you know, watching *Caruso de las Américas*, which is like early '90s, and then *El Liricho de Nacer. Mm-hmm. and and even the the language that I think is is easily um, offered uh, culturally to folks to talk about blackness right like um, in 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 describing uh, this this mixed race person i think the like the the use of the word mulato um, mulata, mulata mm-hmm. i think is also really really interesting because it you know it's it's um, uh, an inheritance it's an heirloom right of of the casta system and and the way that that particular that particular popular cultural product in its time Sort of became the thing that that helped to dictate um, language that relegated blackness to um, to like animalia or to, to 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 the animal and and to and and what that did to sort of frame how people think about blackness um, today. You know, e- e- even today when 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 we think about larger conversations about um, how the Black body is viewed in Latinx families. Um, and this is a conversation that I think has happened a lot more recently um, as as a lot of younger folks who are tuned into how cultural products are made are watching Univision and Telemundo report on the uprisings that are happening here in the United States. And and they're watching their parents react. And, and I think it's a really interesting moment of reckoning because I think all of these conversations about how popular culture influences how we talk about blackness in in um non-black Latinx communities and families, I, I think it's it's a kind of um it's a kind of moment where all of these things are coming to a head because now we're watching our parents actively participate mm-hmm. and watch these and watch these images, watch the uprisings, watch the news with only pop culture as their primary tool for for sense making. And here you have a new generation of, of folks, of, of a lot of younger Latinx um, non-Black folks who I think are now sort of struggling and trying to carry that question of of what it means to to have that confrontation um, with, their, with their families and with their parents um, and also try to negotiate that through pop culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what does it mean to listen to Bad Bunny and know that the all of the the threads that make his music work all of the things that make his sonic choices um, popular and, and and palatable right are are because they are um, they are remnants of a very specific kind of, of colonialism and, and anti-black violence that that takes the music and takes the cultural product and leaves behind the body that originates it or makes it um which i think is really really interesting because i, uh, I, I, I it, it's it's interesting that all of this is happening in living rooms right that that these larger conversations that mm-hmm. i think a lot of times we want to say mm-hmm. happen in academic spaces mm-hmm. can actually happen at the kitchen table in the living room mm-hmm. and i'm 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 really interested in 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 what those conversations might be and and i i think it would be fascinating to also think about like what cultural products people are are sort of screening and thinking about blackness through in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of thinking about about our current moment, right, and and, and what's happening now, um, what's your sort of take or or what are your thoughts on on the way that celebrities like uh, Selena Gomez or Bad Bunny have responded to to our to this moment, right, and, and this movement?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, you know, was was thinking about Bad Bunny too, um, in relationship to sort of the ways in which you know these le- legacies are, are are continued through in sort of mostly the sort of the 20th centuries, which is the moment in which I I I, I move my students through and kind of already begin to tell them that a lot of the the modes of representation that they're being critical about because we we have, you know, quite a you know, sort of group of woke students that are analyzing everything through the lens of race and class and mm-hmm. gender and sexuality. Um, but one of the things that I do is to sort of pry open the, the the contemporary moment and say, you know, there's actually legacies and histories of, you know, performers from early 20th century that we're doing the same exact thing, right? You know, how is it different? How, how is it um, working differently? Yeah. Um, so, totally, I mean, Bad Bunny would be an example of the ways in which, you know, sort of the the, the use of Afro diasporic music moves through his body and through his song, through his, as you said, the audioscape of, of Bad Bunny, but makes it palatable. That's like the question for us always, you know, in. in um, in my classes, which has to do with, you know, uh, pop culture as, you know, part of this sort of capitalist driven system mm-hmm. of, you know, of of profit gain. Um, so there's always money behind, you know, and what is the belief? The belief is that, you know, the only sort of palatable images, palatable s- or sounds through you know, certain types of bodies are going to be consumed or consumable right and the students are you know and in general this generation that you were talking about um is putting a stop to it you know and having these difficult conversations with mom dad grandma grandpa and the the rest of the family right um so you know they're the ones that are also bringing these conversations to the classroom right so it's like not only just about the racial hierarchies that are you know, sort of perpetuated through telenovelas, but also, you know, sort of the gender and the sexism and the misogyny mm. in telenovelas that the students are right. like putting a stop to that too, right? So um, I think that, you know, hopefully this will kind of change and since these people will be the ones who are going to be producing, you know, uh, culture in the culture, future. That Yeah. yeah. But you know what's interesting to me about you know <laughs> Bad Bunny is that there was like silence from him like no right. one was like everyone was like what is bad boy his bad bunny like he was so open about you know during the the sort of the covid moment and and you know we were we knew what he was doing in his you know um compound in Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and yet you know the uprising happened and silence from him and there was so much expectation and then he comes out with this very lame kind of um, I don't know um, support Uh, I think he disappointed a lot of people that were wanting more from Bad Bunny yeah Um,
2: the meagerness of the response yeah
1: Mm -hmm. whereas someone like Selena Gomez comes out and surprises people and then you know (laughs) the one that was is often critique of like exploiting her Latinidad is like the one that says I'm just going to give up my Instagram uh, and use my platform and just sort of you know just take a back seat and you know sort of just let people take over my Instagram yeah Um, black people Black people who have been in the movement and are, you know, uh, figures that we all should know. And the use of a platform has sort of altered the way that I perceived Selena, right? Selena mm-hmm. Gomez. So um, that's also, you know, sort of an interesting moment that we're sort of finding ourselves in, right? Uh, where we have so little expectation from someone like Selena Gomez who comes out and surprises us, whereas Bad Bunny is like, not there, not yeah. there, or not in the with that strength that people were expecting.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and I'm actually really, really interested in the sort of what's interesting too about about the kind of um, interruption that social media has. No, I don't even know if it's interruption. But a, a kind of mediation, right, that, that social, uh, social mediation, media, um, <laughs> that, that social media has had on these conversations, specifically because I I I I'm thinking a lot about the ways in which the political or, or social or cultural happens. And usually, right, the the logic would say the political moment, the cultural moment, the 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 inciting incident, right, happens and then the celebrity responds or or the the cultural makers. Um, responds via product or statement, mm-hmm. and I think what has happened with social media, and I'm specifically thinking about uh, Instagram and TikTok, mm-hmm. about those two platforms, is that they're now kind of providing this third prong where the audience is also creating cultural products, right? Like mm-hmm. that um, a fan can get enough likes or follows or retweets or or reposts or or regrams, right? In, in their post that that calls out the silence from these celebrities and also become a kind of of popular culture maker right that that the the meme also intervenes and and I'm I, I I'm really taken by that by by the way in which so many of the folks who are consuming popular culture are also now making the cultural products that respond to it and and they're 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 becoming the bridge that sort of, attempts to have these more difficult conversations and, and attempts to understand and place the cultural products they're consuming, right the music, the mm-hmm. the videos, the shows mm-hmm. um, in, in a larger conversation and in a larger context. And I'm I, I'm in many ways really sort of inspired by the, by the possibility that that um, what, what I'll call like the meme, right but but yeah the the, the response, the screenshot, the mm-hmm. the the tweet thread, how those things get passed around and become cultural products that that become shorthand for so many of these conversations. Mm-hmm. And as I think my my friend Tressie McMillan caught who's a sociologist, um, I think she she phrased it best um, on Sunday night, she tweeted, um, this ge- this generation really did the reading. And and that I to me is is really uh, inspiring and 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 I hope that I hope I hope that we don't um, discount the ways in which the cultural products that that folks are making in response to pop culture um, as cultural artifacts too, because I do think they're going to become really important um, documents for for how we look at 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 how we responded to anti-blackness in this moment. Um, as as non-black Latinx uh, people right mm-hmm. and and I, I you know I want to kind of um, I, I personally try to stray from the word community just because I think that that can get really um, contentious and messy and and I also think like community oftentimes is for me anyway more about the folks who show up than, than the folks who happen to look like you or have the same last name or whatever you know Um so uh, I am really interested in what, um, in what we will say and what we will, what we will think about um, uh, anti-blackness in, in the fabric of, of non-black Latinidad in, you know, 10 years um, in 20.
1: Oh I totally I totally agree with that. Um I think that you know sort of the the community in making in terms of the the responses has been it's sort of a reconfiguration of what even community means. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I love the way that you that you put it. Um or sort of yeah just toss it out and sort yeah. of give give new terms, right? Because I really d- I love that tweet. I really do think that this generation did do the reading. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and I'm so heartened by, you know, the ways in which, you know, sort of, you know, the pandemia, pandemic happened, and then we were supposed to just thrown into isolation and Zoom learning or e-learning or whatever. But I really do think that this 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 moment that we're in now with, with uh, Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, everything adjacent to it, and not just in the U.S. but also globally, I think that right. that to uh, that to me is like, all right, 2020, you know, was being thought of as the year that was lost. I actually think that we have so much more that has been gained right. because of what you just mentioned—not just sort of the the response of people, but also the ways in which these we have new artifacts, new language. I think right. that is being developed as we speak. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's totally, Mm -hmm. I think the thing has like, that is really sort of, um, it was interesting and, and and I, I grew up in, in a, in a Mexican household, um, as, as an immigrant family. And I think growing up and really thinking about this, right. I think my parents most, um, my parents most often, uh, thought about blackness in relation to again telenovelas, right? And so if it wasn't Caruso de las Americas, it was Marimar. Mm. And if it wasn't Marimar, it was um La Chacala, which I don't know if you if you remember, but it was it was a wild novella and like very racist um and in, in its treatment of 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 blackness and 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 connecting mm-hmm. blackness again to um uh, in in this specific novella, I mean really like it 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 placed uh it placed evil and, and the, uh, the the demonic in, in inside of black bodies in really in ways that I thought were, were really damaging. And so um, I do remember that. Yeah. One. Oh, it was right. buried in my oh, <laughs> and, wow. and well mm-hmm. and, and it had Christian Bach as the mm-hmm. protagonist too, who's just like the whitest Mexican that you could possibly the have in a novella. Either. Right. And so uh, you know, this this is this is what blackness looked like to my parents, mm-hmm. and it isn't until I go to college and come back, and the, the the first people that I that I became close friends with in college were were black women, and uh, I'm, I'm I grew up in El Paso, Texas, mm-hmm. and my first year of college was in West Texas A and M, and I think it 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 isn't until you you have that conversation and and you bring those things back that I that I think you can start to sort of really shift the dynamic and conversation and focus. Because I think slowly, a lot of the the conversations about my friendships, about who I felt comfortable with at school, about who I was learning to to engage politically uh, from a lot more, I think they really shifted how my family thought about Blackness and, and also about their relation to anti-Blackness um, in our own home. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father, who is uh, who's a very dark-skinned person, um, he is the kind of Mexican who he's from Zacatecas, and to this day, this man will uh, will swear that there are, um, as he says it, in um, in Mexico, no hay, no hay indios y no hay negros. That's 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 his oh, that's wow. phrasing, right? <laughs> and and when we look at his his family albums, when we look at him, when we look at my at some of my sisters and brothers. Um, it, 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 to me, is fascinating that this man has so steadfast sort of held a kind of um, self-hate and self-erasure. And, 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 and for him, that is virtuous, right? This, this sort of recalling, um, uh, the recalling and erasure he grew up with is, is really interesting. And I think as, as, as he's gotten older and as I've had more sort of intervening conversations and as he's watched this time unfold, he sort of really thought about how damaging those conversations and those statements have been, not only to him, but also to family members. And And it was interesting to watch the first few days of the uprising in, in Minnesota and watch my parents sort of call. The first thing they did when when the news broke about what was happening in Minnesota and about George Floyd is they called me and they were like, how are you doing? Um Because I think they almost immediately knew that, uh, yeah, that I was going to go out and and be part of of the protests and and the demonstrations here in Austin. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that moment would not have happened if it hadn't been for the fact that, you know, I was very vocal with them during Ferguson. I was very vocal with them during uh, the Trayvon Martin and George Mm -hmm. Zimmerman case. I was very vocal with them that first year of college. And so I think... And I'm really inspired by the possibility of what this new generation of folks are going to be creating in their living rooms and at their tables with their parents and their grandmothers, right? And and how do you go back and and tell someone, I love that you love Selyakirus, and here is and 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 because you love Salia Cruz, here is what else. Um, here are the other things you have a duty to, to, to protect, to think about, to unlearn. To, uh, to reprogram um, and, and, you know, uh, walk in, in a way that I think is, is more fitting with, with what I think solidarity should actually look like, right, which is the, the unlearning and the admission of, of, of mistakes and, and the willingness, I think, to, to risk. And I think those conversations are, are so oftentimes seen as a risk. And I would say that this generation is, is really seeing this as a, as a risk worth taking.
1: I would have to agree with everything you just said. I don't know if I could compliment anything except with uh, lots of high fives. Um, and also, uh, this is the timekeeper here. I want us to ensure that we um, sort of end in a, in, a, in a good note. Sure. So I think that's a good way to end. So thank you so much, Jesus. It <laughs> thank was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Hi, all. This is Ashley Navamonteros, the Communications Associate at Latino Studies. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to check out the Latino Studies Instagram page. Follow us at latinostudiesut
0: to keep the conversation going.